Welcome to another episode of From Concept to Company with your hosts, Ashley and Autumn. On this show, we dive in deep with our current and aspiring entrepreneurs to learn about their pain points, things they wish they knew before they started, and their successes to date. This week, we are excited to bring Jaron Lucas, founder of Jaron Lucas Strategy, growth advisory company that helped clients reach over $100 million in sales. Jaren, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure sitting across the podcast room from you. Great to be here. You've had some amazing experiences over the course of your career and have had some great successes. And I think our listeners can really benefit from your experiences and pain points and tribulations and what's led you to this couch that you're sitting in today. Yeah, I'm happy to share all the mayhem some mayhem starting a business and running it, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, and then we'll kind of work backwards on, on your history. Sure, yeah. Well, for you know, ever since I sold my last company in 2016, I've been working with different startup founders um, and really helping them develop growth strategies. But, it, you know, it, I've really touched on every part of starting a company, being an entrepreneur myself, and you know, raising 2.1 million for my first startup and doing every acquiring other companies, selling it to um, another company. And so I think I've taken that broad array of experience that I had from that and private equity and investment banking background before that and and really been helping founders in, in a variety of ways. But I think the most important one is sales and figuring out how do you create a growth engine. Yeah, it's really what drives revenue and makes your business successful. And I think too many business owners get so wrapped up in their day-to-day lives that they can't, even if they wanted to, handle their sales and marketing. And so having a service like that is so incredibly beneficial. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about your history and the company. What was the very first business that you you started or launched? Well, the very first business I launched was a complete failure. Okay. And uh, I did that one with Arden Lucas, who I believe was recently on this show, and Yosub Kwan. All of us went on to found other successful ventures. Um, But that first one was an online ticketing company that we were all running while we had corporate jobs. Mm. And so I was in investment banking and private equity at the time, kind of hating my life and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so we, we started, it was, uh, this is kind of in the days of Groupon and we started Groupon for tickets, terrible idea, <laughs> but, um, we learned a lot and eventually that all led into us founding, um, successful ventures. And so I, yo started getting me into Bitcoin in 2012. And at first I thought it sounded kind of stupid, but I kept listening to him and my political views were different at the time. I was uh, much more libertarian and that all kind of came together. And I looked at the space at the time and, and said, this is a completely sketchy place. You know, I try to go and trade Bitcoin anywhere and I can't even find the founders faces on websites. So it was really early in Bitcoin. Everything was in a forum and, and that's when I, when I got into it. And yeah, I started a, a, an exchange. I raised one of the first venture rounds in the Bitcoin space and Bitcoin blockchain, all of that. 
and and uh, moved to New York City and you know was building that company up for several years eventually sold it to Kraken who's still one of the largest exchanges in the world and now I you know ever since then I've been working with a variety of entrepreneurs as I mentioned before helping them develop strategies so one of the things that a lot of our listeners um struggle from and a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is determining when is it time to leave that nine to five when you've started a business tell us a little bit about that process and your decision making what did what did you feel needed to be lined up or in place or was it just a point to where you guys are like okay we're making enough money what what allowed you to take that leap that's a great question i think it's never too early because when you're young you have so much energy so when you're you know 21 22 I mean, to be completely honest, you really don't have a lot of business experience, but you have a lot of energy. So the secret there is to use that energy and get advisors who have that business experience that you're missing so that instead of just grinding your wheels, you're actually applying that energy towards the right tasks. And if you can do that and you get the right advisors around you, then you'll be successful. So I think I think it's never too early to start. Um, one thing I would say is definitely save money, like whatever corporate job that you're working, try to save money because um, that really starts to allow you to delegate, hire people. Even if you're still working that job, can you hire a virtual assistant in the Philippines to offload a lot of, a lot of kind of like work that would be busy work for you, um, time consuming, but um, you know, you can still keep your job, start hiring people, and uh, start that company. But I would say like really focus your efforts, no matter where you are in your startup, like really focus your efforts on what are those few tasks that need to be done now in order to hit that next milestone. So if that's raising capital, you wanna look at what do I need to get investors to invest in my seed round? If you've already quit your job and you're trying to get sales off the ground, you want to, again, look at what are your minimum tasks that you need to do to get that next client or or if you already have clients to grow 10x. And I think really keeping that focus is a challenge for most entrepreneurs, but is the most important key. Yeah. I, with Action Mavens, we really try to keep people on track too. It's like, hey, it's one step at a time. Don't try to do a thousand things at once. Try to do one thing at a time as you can and move forward and take that next step that's so vital to allowing you to move forward. Um, I had a really hard time. I started Cardi Media five years ago and I was working a full nine to five job and I was also working a um, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift three days out of the week at UCSD an hour and a half south of my nine to five job. So there were days where I would literally go to work at 9 a.m. and at 5 p.m. drive down to San Diego, have a tiny little break, and then start my 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. Um, It was insane, but I did whatever I had to do, and that's what I had to do while still taking freelancing clients. Granted, my 9 to 5 allowed me to work a lot on my computer um, while I was at work. Hopefully she's not listening to this, but um, (laughs) it allowed me to have my freelancing clients and I literally knew, okay, I need to stack up this cash. I didn't come from, you know, a very wealthy family. I grew up in Southern California. Like I'm not 
going to try to pretend that I didn't have a nice life. I did, but I didn't have a trust fund. Like I had to put all of my money away on my own and start my company from scratch on my own. And I really made sure that I had enough in the bank to where I was comfortable. And I felt like I could take that leap. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs fail because they don't properly plan and they think, okay, I can do this. Like I got, let's say it's a marketing company. I got one client, like I can quit my job and I can make this happen. And then they realize down the road, okay, I shouldn't be taking money into my personal bank account. I need an LLC. Okay. That's a thousand dollars. Like things add up really quickly. And it's really important to sit down and know like, okay, I need this amount of runtime realistically before I can start. Definitely. So yeah, I, I share a similar story. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs do as well because there's a certain drive that we all have and we want to achieve more. I think there's something that's been put in us, a thought that's been put in us to achieve these things that our parents didn't. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, to be honest, um, as I meditate more and more. I mean, I meditate for an hour a day now. And and in that experience, I'm I'm always going to a place where I realize that life is temporary and what you achieve in a certain way doesn't matter. It does and it doesn't. Um, but the fact is, is like the only thing that really matters is that you enjoy your present moment. And so that, that dichotomy between realizing that you should really place a bigger focus on your experiences and enjoying your life over the amount of money that you accumulate, I think directly goes against a lot of the goals that at least I had when I was graduating college. And I think a lot of other people too. So that, that's, that's something I think about a lot right now is like, what are my real goals? And, and I, I clearly I'm, I'm still trying to help people build businesses and, and, achieve great things but i find i find that there's a certain kind of entrepreneur i'd actually separate entrepreneurs into two types one is who's only in it for money and one is who has a greater purpose and i only try to work with the ones who have a greater purpose because they end up being cooler people (laughs) i love it yeah we had um i love the direction that this conversation is going because our very first podcast guest was uh delisa hawking from spirit and spark have you been to spirit and spark over in henderson it's amazing i experienced my first meditation there and i closed my eyes and i literally felt like i was transported to a different place and it brought a lot of realizations that in one way or another led us to being able to record our first four videos um, for Action Mavens when we had originally been very um, rigid in a way. We did not want to record only four. We wanted to do them all at once. We wanted to release them all at once, etc. cetera. And um, yeah, that meditation led me essentially in, in autumn in an indirect way because she wasn't there um, to being a little more open to, 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 and flexible, essentially, which led us to this amazing production company. And we recorded the first four courses this last Saturday. And the promos go live for Black Friday. And we're so excited. But it's amazing what meditation can do for entrepreneurs if you don't have that time to shut off and open yourself up. Yeah, it amazes me that entrepreneurship and meditation both aren't taught in schools. Because meditation in particular it's just 
I don't understand why it took 30 years for me to be taught that I am not my thoughts. Mm. People don't know that. And, and so these, these ideas that you get in your head that are survivalist, survivalistic in a way, you know, like anything that's causing you stress, anything that's making you say, I'm not enough. If, and if that's what's driving you, cause that's what I think drives like probably 95% of people is some form of lack or some form of I'm, I'm not good enough and I need to prove myself. And, and so getting beyond that, one of the, one of the first ways to get beyond that is to kind of learn that those thoughts that are going through your brain, first of all, aren't you, there's something else there. And second, you can control them. And third, they were probably planted there by someone else. So then I think once you realize that you can start saying, okay, every thought I've ever had was planted probably by someone else. And when you start to look at that, you can actually start to understand a bit better, like, okay, why do I feel this way about that? Or why am I actually trying to achieve those goals? And I think one of the big, big changes I've had since my coin setter days, which is that first startup I had in, well, the second one, not the failure, <laughs> but um, the second startup I had that was running in New York, you know, I really, I really didn't appreciate the fact that I didn't have to be stressed all the time. I didn't appreciate the fact that, you know, you know, I mean, I was in that for, for a bit of a wider purpose. I did want to change things, but I think that my purpose now is so much greater and, and I really do attribute it to the meditation practice, which gives you tools to be able to un uncover thoughts you're having if they're the negative ones, why do you have that thought? And if they're even, even going beyond that, you start to kind of figure out what your deeper purpose is because you're saying now, you're, now you know that that idea that you're working hard to make a hundred million dollars is a lie. Like that whole reason you were doing that when that starts to disappear, then you really, it opens up the opportunity to start to understand why you're doing everything you are. Yeah, I stood in front of a group of people and and was literally asked the most simple question, what are you thankful for? And it allowed me to look back and go, I am thankful for all of my hardships because it's led me to where I am today. And I we really try to reiterate to all of the people listening on this podcast, like entrepreneurship is so hard and we think a lot of the times that we're doing it for a particular purpose and then we realize that that's not necessarily always what we thought it was. Oh, I want to make a lot of money so I can take care of my family, but I'm in education. Why am I in education? Wow, I remember way back to how many years ago, like, this was my passion indirectly. Um, and how you're helping people and in, in making a difference. And that's what autumn and I boiled down with action mavens is it's like it's not just about let's provide this solution to a missing problem we went through these hardships and we want to be able to provide people the tools and the steps that they need to make sure that they don't go through the stuff that we've gone through or we've watched clients go through over the years well I think you just touched on something I heard Tim Cook say this week which is when it all comes down to it the only purpose we have is to help another person 
and and that's certainly been my my discovery as well sounds like for you you too and yeah i think i think that's what it is all about so then as an entrepreneur you start saying okay i want to help people how many people can i help and how deeply and accurately can i help them and i think that actually is the source of successful strategy because when the biggest entrepreneur mistake that people make is that they haven't put themselves in the customer's shoes. So, and, and that goes everywhere from the product itself into the marketing because the product, you know, the, I mean, how many ideas have you heard where it's like, that sounds cool and the listeners can't hear me, but I'm quoting my fingers right now. Um, you know, so many people have these cool ideas that are, don't ever make any money because they didn't, weren't useful to anyone else. So putting yourself from a product perspective in the customer's shoes saying, would I use that? And then in your marketing, actually, um, I mean, I think that there are some really great visualization techniques that marketers can use, which is all about pretending you are your customer in a very real way, trying to make it feel really w real. And then looking at your own copy you've written and starting to see, would I buy it? do I vibe with this message on this website? And more often than not, especially if it's your first, if you just wrote it, the answer is no. So that gives you the opportunity to kind of go back and, and look at it from, from a different perspective, the one of your customer. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions that we always ask our guests is if you... What is one thing you wish you knew before you started even your just very first company? What's one thing you wish you knew so that our listeners can walk away learning that? Track your numbers. So it's easy to come in with an idea and you can even like throw out Google ads and Facebook ads or advertise however you want. But if you're not following your numbers and things I mean usually when you throw out a bunch of landing pages and stuff for the first time like they're not converting and so if you're not tracking where those leaks are happening like most entrepreneurs are not then you don't know how to fix it so I think looking at okay like I think people look at it backwards a lot of times entrepreneurs will say oh I only got one customer call sign up today and they're like and they're trying to get like 50 or something and, they're, and they don't really have a tool without the numbers to, to explore why that happened. Oh, was it because you only had five people that even saw your ad? I mean, if so, like you had the most amazing conversion ever, you just need to advertise more. Um, or it could be that, you know, if you have a 10 step process, it, you know, the leak is happening somewhere else. But I, I just find that over and over again. I know I speak for myself as well as an early entrepreneur, you know, I, I wasn't tracking my numbers in those early days. Most people who I talk to who don't have a marketing background, don't do that either. Yeah. It becomes very easy to go, okay, this sounds like a good idea. I'm going to spend money here and I'm going to spend money there, or I'm going to trust this third party agency and they're going to give me, you know, somewhat of a result. And I'm going to say, oh, it's not working. But like you had just said, if you're only spending $5 and you got high conversions off of that based off of your views, then that's what really matters. And having somebody that can go in and analyze that for you, if you 
aren't sure how, then probably shouldn't be doing it first place on your own. (laughs) Um, But it is another thing that I that I have experienced myself is clients will come to us and say, oh, hey, yeah, this is this is our past reports and they're fudged. So do you have any advice to our entrepreneurs listening on trusting the numbers that are given to them? If you don't trust them, dig into them. So I think that I, I find it hard not to trust the numbers. Like the numbers are the truth. So it's either you trust the numbers or you go figure out why you don't trust them. Yeah, I guess. So an example would be we've had um, a client come to us and say, hey, this particular agency claimed that we did this volume on Google um, and we only had X number of sales on our website, but it says that we did X number of sales through Google. But obviously we didn't um, because we know what our sales volume was based off of Shopify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're claiming we did triple that. So obviously we know that they're they're not telling the truth because you can set particular parameters um, in a backwards way on Google. It's just something to look out for. But anyway, um, so just because our listeners don't know about your amazing current company, tell us a little bit about that and how you got into it and what you do for clients. Yeah, well, my my current company all revolves around the market science method, which is really an accumulation of my past experience through my own companies and other companies I've advised and drilling it down into a pretty easy fo- easy to follow process that entrepreneurs can use to do everything from really defining who their customer is, building that message to target them with, and then create test funnels, which I call minimum viable funnels, in order to test and test and test and test and get get results. So ultimately, the, the strategy gives you a scientifically provable way using the scientific method that's really what this is. I okay. really apply the scientific method to marketing. I think that there's there's too many businesses that we've seen out there that don't test and they'll try something, they'll throw the spaghetti at the wall and it doesn't stick and they give up and they go, okay, Facebook advertising didn't work for me. I literally just boosted a post <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't work for me. And now I'm going to go pay for, you know, a, a mailer to go out to people who aren't really my target demographic. And I think that's a big mistake that a launch entrepreneurs make is not, not testing. I have so much to say about that because <laughs> I, I think you're right. First of all, people try one small little thing. It, it, it's, it's kind of like you got to go all in on anything you want to be successful with. And when you're just like putting your toe in the water and, and going to give up really fast, you're definitely not going to be successful at it. And what I think is interesting about what you said about Facebook is that is a really common thing. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that more research and planning needed to go into their strategy in the first place. And I know that's hard when you haven't done it yourself, but the internet is full of information. So you can start there. Usually what I recommend is actually 
you know, I mean, maybe spend five or 10 minutes just if you've never done a Facebook ad before, like reading about it, but um, start to look for growth hacker strategies, like find what the people this year are, are doing on that platform. And the other thing is, is that even though I'd still say Facebook is pretty, I mean, you can definitely drive sales on Facebook. You know, I mean, first of all, you know, you want to know that social is being killed and, and that you might have already a lot of competitors on Facebook. And if that's the case, then your message might get drowned out. So you want to start thinking about how are you differentiating yourself? How are you standing out from the pack? And then the other thing that I don't hear enough people talk about is what are other platforms that you might be able to get traffic from? And uh, the one I'm actually figuring out right now is Quora. Love Quora. Yeah. Love Quora. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, first of all, it's one of the top 100 trafficked websites. And so right there, it, you know, that it's, it's important for me because I mostly work with tech entrepreneurs. It, it's a database of knowledge that I think is, a lot more reputable than other ones that are out there. And, and so it kind of speaks to, I think a higher caliber audience, which is really what I target. And so the plus they like, haven't completely blocked people from linking out to their website (laughs) (laughs) for now. Yeah. We, uh, we chatted a little bit about Reddit one of the other podcasts. uh, Yeah. With Arden and, um, it's, you have to be really careful on there. You're going to get banned. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cora is a lot more friendly. <laughs> yeah. For, well, that's why I like it. You yeah. can also make mistakes. I, I wish I were a Reddit person. Arden's the master. He really is. I, I wish I were on that level, but I just know that I would, <laughs> I, I would say something stupid. People would, uh, attack it and I, I would get lost in that, in that game. But if you're, if you're the kind of person who, um, I mean, let, let's be real. Like people have fake accounts on Reddit yeah. and they create their own conversations. And if you can not get caught in that, I'll tell you a quick story is I actually did get caught in that once when I was running Coinsetter. So this is in like 2014 or 15. And I, I had two accounts and I was creating a conversation and it usually worked. And I would, you know, I would drive this to like CNBC interviews I was doing, Bloomberg, stuff like that at the time and build up credibility in just kind of like for my brand. And, and usually it works except like, you know, these Redditors, they're so freaking smart that they, they like, you know, looked all the background and basically I'd posted a reply on the wrong account Um. and I got caught for it. And (laughs) I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but it, yeah, it's just the bigger game you're playing on reddit if you get caught in that like you're going to lose your credibility (laughs) yeah it's 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 tough and it's all about the platforms based off of who your target demographic is too like like you said core is amazing for specific niches and industries facebook is the go-to and it's very easy to get drowned out on there um obviously the other social media platforms are becoming increasingly more or less popular depending on the demographic and soon we're going to start seeing other platforms really start to pick up. Um, yeah, what other kind of platforms do you think are going to start coming out? That's a really good question. Um, I've seen so many that I thought I was like, okay, this is going to be the next one. This is going to be the next Facebook. 
And then people get tired of it and then they hop right back on, which has blown me away, frankly, because I feel like I haven't seen that for how many years now? I think the next platform is going to be on a different platform, so to speak. So um, VR, AR, probably AR. I was thinking about this last week. And I think audio is interesting too, because I know I personally hate looking at my computer screen these days. Mm. And then you got like Alexa and all that. Very, very hard to say where that'll go, but I think it's going to head in that direction. Um, one one thing I kind of learned from being in blockchain for so long is you can screw up in the worst possible ways. And if you're the dominant player, you can usually recover from it. So it gives Facebook a huge advantage. But the problem is, well, so Facebook owns Instagram, right? right. Instagram has completely blocked off their entire platform from growth. If you want to grow in any semi-organic way, like try not to make more than 30 comments on a post. So that means like, um, let's say you put out a post, you do everything right. Maybe use a shout out strategy because that's like one of the few things that still works on Instagram. And and you get like uh, a thousand new followers and then they all like a post you just did and a bunch of people comment, 50 people comment. Well, if you want to go reply to them after the, you know, you're replying, replying, the second that you reply to that 31st person, you get action blocked. Yep. And, and it's like, <laughs> okay, I can't even reply to legitimate comments that people make on my posts. Yeah, so I think crazy. with those kinds of restrictions on their platform, which they don't really even seem to be fixing. Like I, I assumed that when that first started happening, that they had some sort of AI algorithm that they were using and and learning because you could report it back right so i assume i i still hope they're doing this certainly they must be smart enough but i still see the action blocks so it i think i think with the level that instagram's at they might be too risk averse to really be a growth platform for new creators and the fact is is that millennials us millennials like we loved instagram but there's a whole new Gen Z out there who clearly is like more into TikTok than Instagram. Although yeah. I, although they still graduate to Instagram, but, yeah. and then, and then I look at TikTok and that's a mess too. Because <laughs> TikTok, so the way TikTok works is it has a three tiered. Well, first of all, the way TikTok works is it's a Chinese company and it's run in Chinese ways. So that, that poses other problems that I won't go into, but the it, it's a three-tiered system so you have the inner tier which is all it, it's basically like your first like one to three hundred views the way you perform on those is then going to dictate if you go to tier two and when you go to tier two it's like a one to three thousand views they look at that again if you pass that then there's a manual check which is um i think problematic but um we'll see I actually think it's one of the reasons why TikTok isn't working. And then if you pass that manual check, then they, they shoot you to, you know, 10,000, 30,000 people or more. And, uh, and you can go viral. 
But the problem is, is what you see is like when you look at um, influencers like Diplo, I mean, Diplo, um, he probably has more followers than this today. But when I was looking at this like one month ago, two months ago, you know, he had like uh, 14,000 followers and he would post and, and his videos would be seen by like 900 people. And this is Diplo who has enough followers who are interested in him. So um, same thing with Lewis Howey's, like, you know, very popular on Instagram, over a million followers. Um, you know, he, I, I don't know his numbers offhand, but I want to say he's maybe at like three to 5K followers. He'll post, he gets like 300 views. Now, the funny thing about that is Lewis is, I think he's great, but his content doesn't work for TikTok. It's all like this inspirational uh, overly happy, stay positive. And I'm all for that. Like more people should think that way. But, um, the fact is, is like, it comes off as really fake. Mm. So when you're going and talking to these like 18 year olds who are just like looking to have fun and you're talking to them, you're like, I hope you have a great day, guys. The know. thing today is to mm -hmm. stay positive. Remember, nobody can hold you down. It's all in your own mind, blah, blah, blah. And it it's not working. So I think, I think that for his account in particular is a problem, but more broadly, the, the fact is, is that going viral on TikTok is completely unpredictable. And the way that they've created their platform, what I think people want right now is they want to know that when I get people as subscribers and then I post more content, as long as it's good, it's going to be shown to them. Mm. And every platform has moved away from that for their own reasons. TikTok's not even starting that way because of their mentality. But, and, and the saddest thing is that even YouTube most recently oh, is, is the one who also, I, I, I actually thought that I was watching every social platform just like kind of, make all these mistakes and and now i look at at youtube and they're kind of going that way so i think what i think here are some strategies um one build your own email list make everything center around your own email list two try to figure out a way to involve facebook messenger because if you can actually use facebook messenger now here's the thing you could actually make your subscriber list on Facebook Messenger. Mm -hmm. The downside is you're adding a step so you might lose conversion, but the upside is that you're gonna get 87% response rate. So people are actually going to receive your messages more and, and become a follower. But I think even if you get people on Messenger, you wanna bring them back to your email list yes, really yes, fast. Email list, yep. So the other thing that I think is interesting, even though it's a lot of work, is Tribe, tribe.so and uh, you, creating your own community. That's where I think things are gonna go, is is really having ownership of a community, almost like being a mod on Reddit a little bit, having ownership of your own community and having that reliability and not having so much outside censorship, letting the influencers be the censors. Yeah, we found uh, even just Facebook groups to be incredibly beneficial for brands where Maybe they're a, a physician and rather than being like, hey, this is my physician page. Let me post X, Y, Z about me and my life, etc." It's like, no, we're going to create a page around breast cancer because she's a breast cancer surgeon. So what's the strategy on growing a Facebook group? 
It's kind of just like having a tribe group. Um, not enough people know about tribe. It's a little bit harder to manage externally as a brand. Um, so just creating a group of people to contribute. Um, so you literally hire contributors to post on there every day as if they were normal people. Um, and where would you find those people? It's a lot of manual outreach for now. I have not found an amazing platform that can automate this. But are these like people on Fiverr or VAs or like? No, they're legit people that either currently blog about it on their own personal websites and we bring them in. That's usually the most common strategy or they are advocates like they are always using that particular industry's hashtag on Instagram is a good way to find people. Um, literally just clicking on that hashtag, pulling up all of the people that have posted about it, seeing how often they post about that niche, and then reaching out to them via private messenger, saying, hey, we built this community. Would you be interested in being a moderator and a contributor? This is what you know we can compensate you for. If we do end up compensating them, handfuls of them are willing to just be involved and feel connected to the other people. Mm -hmm. And is there a hack, so to speak, to build a community of 80,000 people? Because I see these all the time. I see these huge communities in every niche and, and that's a lot of people. So somehow they're reaching out to five to 10 times even more than that and offering them the chance to be a part of the community. So I'm curious if, um, if there's a place within Facebook that makes sense to do that. If there's a place within Facebook for that outreach to try to build a community. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, obviously having the keyword of your particular niche, like for me personally, I'm involved with all of the um, gluten-free groups on Facebook and they got me by literally just me going and searching for the ones that post multiple times a day. I won't join a group unless they post multiple times a day. Um, and ones that have the bigger followships, but for strategies for clients that we grow from scratch, we will, um, do the obvious outreach to their current contacts and let them know that we've created this group, sending email blasts, um, utilizing partnerships where we're allowed to essentially do a co-email to let people know of the new community, if it makes sense, um, affiliates, and then creating the people and in inviting them in and having them essentially be not only just a contributor, but more of an influencer to talk about it. Um, the more that you talk within a group, the more that you can start to show up and increase that reach, but it is a long-term play. It's not most of the time it's not going to happen overnight, yeah. um, especially because it is Facebook and we all know how the, they can be with. Well, I think the content. first thing you said is definitely right. Cause I know that the Facebook, as I think about the Facebook groups I've joined, it usually was through search. So SEO is, I think being top three there is really important. And I'd be curious to think more on those referral strategies and partnerships. What, um, I mean, this, this is a bit broad, but you know, if you're, let's say you're starting a partnership and your, your company sells, uh, gluten-free dog food, 
And and you're trying to create a pet lovers Facebook group. Um, what what kind of partnerships would you go after, and um, what's in it for those uh, people? Like, I'm assuming these are people who have maybe email lists of fifty thousand people, and you're trying to get them to spread the word that way. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of um, affiliates are already have that niche or that space. So it's reaching out to the affiliates that are already talking about animals. I think with Facebook groups, one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they'll either use their brand name so then it's not searchable or they'll be a little too broad. Um, You're going to find a really good community by being a little bit more niche. Um, And that's just my professional opinion. It's not a fact with, you know, valid research, but let's say you did want to do a a community for gluten-free dog food, then I would do a group that's literally about dogs that are gluten-free or grain-free. And then you're going to get this community of people together that's talking about how did you know that shampoo has gluten in it and now you Mm. need to start introducing gluten-free pet products and you can bring in these other brands and the other brands communities and their email lists into this group and create a big community that way. So it's not just um, pet lovers Facebook group, because there's a bajillion of them already. You need to get a little bit more niche to where it's like, okay, there's a lot of value here for me because I'm going to see posts about um, the gluten-free shampoos, not knowing that I was supposed to be using a gluten-free shampoo for my pet. Yeah, um, I think that's a great idea, though. One of, the fav- one of my favorite tactics is to do a weekly your best find for this week. Um, so best, best article, best content. Um, a good example, again, is the gluten-free community that I'm in. They ask what your best gluten-free find was this week. And everybody, like thousands of people, um, chime in in the comments and post pictures of their favorite gluten-free item that they found that week at the store. And it creates a lot of engagement within the community. And then people will post, hey, who has a good gluten-free lasagna recipe? Um, and And it really is truly a community. It's not let me post to this um, just because I have to, you know, post every day, really getting the people involved and getting the people commenting and asking questions is what starts to build it and create growth. And it's word of mouth. Like all of us gluten-free people know a ton of gluten-free people. So then we tell people to join the group because there's high value in there. Um, Genius. Yeah. I was reading about Loom today. They are doing, they're the next Slack. And they're doing video conferencing software where you can, it makes it really easy. Like, let's say you have a, a offshore worker and you're trying to explain for them how to do something and you want to go and kind of do it yourself and record that video and want your, your like video of your face in the bottom left corner. And then you can kind of just like use your computer screen as a, um, as kind of like a playbook and to circle things and whatever. So they, they've built that. And they got to their first 500,000 users, which by the way, I mean, they're, uh, they're proving exactly what I'm about to say, which is they've mastered referral marketing because I'm talking about them right now. They, <laughs> but they got to their first 500,000 users purely through referral marketing. And it was the exact same strategy that Dropbox used, which was essentially incentivizing people to refer it to three people. And then they would get, uh, free service plus $15 to use for other features. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think people don't think about referral marketing enough. They really don't. 
They really don't. Yeah, it needs. And that's the thing about marketing. It can't, we, we go back to what we talked about before. It can't just be one thing. It really needs to be this whole strategy and you need to test, 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 test. And then obviously drop the things off that aren't working, um, but don't rely on just one avenue. Don't rely on just Facebook. Um, you really need to try everything and do everything and you're going to get different demographics of people reach different demographics depending on what you're doing. People that are on Facebook are most likely not on Instagram and the people that are searching core are not spending a lot of time on Facebook and so on and so forth. And referral marketing is just another way, another touch point. And those touch points, those seven touch points are so vital. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, One last question while we wrap this up is, what would you like to leave our listeners with? And why did you choose, actually, there's two questions. And why did you choose this big giant cup in front of you for your mug? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there were some good ones. One had a dog saying on it and I had to choose that, but I didn't because um, whatever it said was a little cheesy. This one says better latte than never. And I just think that's so true. Better latte than never. And the last thing that I want to leave the listeners off with is This is for the listeners who have self-doubt and which is really the number one barrier to success for anyone. And I don't know what percent of people have extreme self-doubt. I have to imagine it's actually probably above 90%, but I, I know for me it was a real barrier for a long time. And what, what I would say is that the, trick is to start catching yourself in those moments and realize you're having self-doubt. And when you do that, you can realize that it's a thought and you can just start thinking the exact opposite and you can dig into it if you want to and figure out why you have that thought. But the most important thing is to just be positive. And, and that can be really tough when your backup is when your back's against the wall. And I think people might even make excuses to think, to kind of, reinforce the fact that they're they're thinking negatively at that time like oh i fucked up i can't get myself out of this or um i don't know you could say a million things in those situations but if you can that that's when you're really being tested that's the moment it counts so i think building up that positive mentality really learning how to catch yourself in those negative moments that is what two practices can teach you. The first one's meditation. Meditation can help you realize that you, it can help you discover your thoughts. It can help you understand that your thoughts are a hundred percent completely a choice. You might wake up in the morning and just have these thoughts. You might wake up in the morning and be in a bad mood. But the fact is, is that when you start to realize that you can separate yourself from it and you start practicing that, then your thoughts no longer have control over you. The second practice is visualization, which I actually wrote an ebook about. If anyone wants to read it, it's on my website, jaronlucas.com. And that book talks about a practice of visualization where, and it, it takes just five minutes a day. You can do it in the morning in bed. That's when I do it. And, and you really just visualize how you want your life to be. But what you what you discover in the process is, is these negative beliefs that you have. And, and I know one that can be really tough for people is, is in sales. Imagine yourself in a meeting and you, and you have to sell to your first customer or your 
a new customer, do you feel confident about it? it? Or is there something deep down that's kind of like giving you some uncertainty or maybe it's making you feel a little bit hesitant? You start to feel a little hesitation in your stomach, like listen to those things, uncover them, and then just stop believing them. Because again, that's what the meditation plus the visualization really helps you do is is realize that you can change. And I think that, you know, that that's my that's my final thought is for any entrepreneur who is feeling down or like they don't have a hundred percent chance of success, just take a moment, stop thinking, and then think positively. Love and it. that's the secret. Perfect. Well, cool. thank you so much for that. And everything else today, that was great. It was wonderful having you. Um, we would like to leave them with your website and any social handles as well. Yeah, catch me at jaronlucas.com and download one of my books. <laughs>